Hi again, everybody. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report podcast series presented by SeatGeek. I'm Sean Kelly, and greetings on this Wednesday or whatever day you're consuming our podcast from Studio B at the Osher Sports Performance Center. It's great that you're here because Zach Streif is our guest today, the voice of the New Orleans Saints, the Super Bowl champion, the former offensive tackle for the New Orleans Saints, is uh, ready to go for an extended visit, and the timing is perfect. Of course, this is right after now the Monday night football win for the New Orleans Saints over the Washington Redskins, headlined, of course, by Saints quarterback Drew Brees, who passed Peyton Manning and now holds the all-time passing yardage record for the NFL. And Zach Streif obviously was on the call for that big moment for his teammate, his personal friend, not to mention now uh, five games into the regular season, nine in all, it's our first real good visit with Zach Streif in his new role as Voice of the Saints. So we'll talk about the historic call, all that went into it, what it felt like, what it means to him. Obviously, we'll ask him to reflect back on what he's called so far during the Saints season and perhaps to his thoughts about what lies ahead for the black and blue or for the black and gold on this black and blue report. So, sometimes you get the timing just right, don't you? We did this week. Zach Streif is our guest. I hope that you'll enjoy the visit as much as I did. Zach Streif here on the Black and Blue Report. After first, please, this from Sanderson Farms. Who do we champion at the Sanderson Farms Championship? We champion the children of Mississippi. Each year, all championship proceeds go to charities across Mississippi, including Batson Children's Hospital. Join us October 22nd through 28th at the Country Club of Jackson for first-class golf, fun, and good, honest Sanderson Farms chicken, all to raise money for charities like Friends of Children's Hospital. Visit SandersonFarmsChampionship.com for your tickets today. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Sean Kelly. Hi, Zach Streif. How you doing, Sean? <laughs> doing good. I haven't had you in the studio in a while. It has been a little, been a little bit of time. You've been busy. We, we've had some things going on, yes. both of us. Yeah. Yes, no doubt. Congratulations on a, on a historic call last night. I, I, I can't wait to dive into the anatomy of the call, what it must have felt like. Um, you and I spoke briefly after the game last night, and you were uh, very descriptive in the ramp up to the moment, which I had, I had to imagine was, was nerve wracking. For those who have not heard the call of Monday Night Football's uh, historic moment with Drew Brees passing Peyton Manning for the all-time passing yardage um, record. Uh, here's Zach's call in the second quarter last night. Brees has completed passes to eight different receivers already. He starts in the shotgun, drops back, looks to the far sideline, wide open, Traquan Smith, and Traquan Smith is going to go to the end zone. Drew Brees has done it. You have just witnessed history in New Orleans. Drew Brees is the NFL's all-time leading passer. Is it hard to hear your own voice doing a call? It's terrible. I, I've, yeah, I said that it's, it's like it's better than what it was when it started, when it was really horrible, where it was like painstaking to go back and listen to a game. Uh, so it's getting a little bit better, but yeah, it's very odd to hear yourself in any. It's not what it sounds like in my head. It's the worst. It is. It's not easy. Everybody says that too. Like if they watch a whole movie, even they're like, "Oh my, do I sound like that?" <laughs> right. And you're like, "Yeah, that sounds fine. That's yeah. how you sound all the time." It just, it's, it's crazy. The one thing that jumps out at me in the call is the emotion. I can hear it in your voice. Um, take me through just the call itself. Yeah. 
So the, one of the things I was interested in the booth is we're all like agonizing over how many yards until he breaks it and you don't want to miss it. And the interesting thing about this record is this could have happened on a two yard out route, you know, and, and you just didn't know how it was going to go down. And so, you know, you're thinking about it constantly and he was about 30 yards away and we knew it was possibly on that drive as, you know, kind of late in the, in the half. And so when the, the pass is completed, Traquan really, uh, catches the ball around the 30 Monte Nicholson is kind of running towards him and it was going to be real close to, is that the record or not? And so when he misses him, you can kind of hear, uh, at least I heard when I, when I listened to the call, there's a moment there where you're excited just about a 30 yard reception. And then there's a realization that that was going to be it for him. And uh, it's, it, it, I, I felt very emotional when I realized, and when you kind of process as I'm, as I'm screaming that, that was going to be his moment and you couldn't have written it any better. I mean, it was just for someone that has meant so much for uh, new Orleans, for his teammates, for, you know, the saints organization to get to have one of the biggest moments in his career on a 62 yard touchdown pass to break an all time record in the NFL was really special. And the realization of that at some point made me emotional. You being his former teammate too, that had to play into it, right? Yeah, and again, this, you know, it's funny when I reflected back, I'm not a big stats guy. Uh, I don't keep signed footballs, the the game bats, the the game balls for my career are in boxes in the attic. I'm just, I'm not sentimental about a lot of that stuff. I'm sentimental about the relationships. And that's, I think, to me, what made me feel that way in that moment was this was the perfect way for this to happen for Drew. It's not about the record to me. It's not about a stat in football. It's this was the culmination of a lifetime of work and it couldn't have happened any better. It was absolutely perfect. It was it's almost like you looked to the sideline and said, Hey Jay, how about you let me complete this one <laughs> for a touchdown? And and you know, it, it almost <laughs> felt that way because it it just you couldn't have drawn it any better. Traquan Smith of all people too. It's not a bad first touchdown. Now I, I talked to Traquan after the game, and you know he comes into the game into the game with one reception on the season, and so this is a one his longest catch of his career, two it's his first touchdown, and oh by the way it comes on one of the most historic plays in NFL history. He drops the ball in the end zone. Thank goodness he didn't throw it into the stands because you know Traquan, and this doesn't surprise me, but after the game I was like, you had no idea, did you? He's like, not a clue. You know, he listen, Traquan's worried about catching the ball, right, and scoring a touchdown. The last thing on his mind is this record that's been 19 years in the making. And so uh, I'm glad that he just dropped it, but someone scrambled over quickly to pick that one up. I was nervous because he was so open. Yeah. And a lot of these guys, Mike Thomas, others are like this, they'd almost have rather have somebody breathing down their neck or cutting off of a defender and in traffic the comfort of making that catch. It's almost it's almost as if it's harder to catch the wide open ball than it is the fantastic situation. It almost makes a little bit of sense if you think about it. Very rarely in this league. Now, Traquan was probably the perfect guy. He's coming out of college. He was at UCF. He was wide open a lot. You take a guy like Mike Thomas that's been in, you know, covered very tightly for, you know, two and a half years now, it's an unusual circumstance. You almost you're not used to it, you know, it's like this new scenario. So Traquan was a good guy to have it happen. He hasn't been in the league long enough being covered to to forget what it's like to catch a ball wide open. And 
and then you really, I mean, I, I tip my hat again to Monte Nicholson for an awful tackle attempt uh, around the 30-yard line that allows him to go in and score. And, uh, you know, it was just, man, it. you think back to it now and it's like you, you just, you, you're so happy for Drew to get to experience it like that. Absolutely. All right, so it's Sunday night. It's the night before the game. Are you laying in bed trying to figure out what the play might be like or might, what you might want to say? Did you script it in any way? Well, I would say that more realistically, that was like Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday <laughs> night of me laying in bed trying to think of what that was going to be like. And what really the reality of it is, is I just didn't want to mess it up for him. It's a, you know, when this, when this job was available, my, one of my thoughts was all of these big moments in my career, I remember Jim. Yes. When Tracy Porter intercepts a pass in the Super Bowl and returns it for a touchdown, I don't remember. I know where I was on the sideline. I don't remember what it looked like. But I could tell you almost word for word what Jim said. Because you had and, heard the highlight. Because I that. had heard the highlight. Okay. I saw yeah. it in, in real life once. I heard the, I've seen the replay 200 times. So I know that in some of these big moments, those things can live on. And I just wanted it to be right for Drew. I wanted Drew to be able to hear it and feel that excitement. And because that's, you know, that's what this job is really about is creating those moments. And uh, I wanted it to be right for Drew. And so, yes, I had scripted literally 10 different things. And I was like, I'm going to say this and this and this. And all of it went out the window when it happened. And I think at the end of the day, what you realize, and, and it was advice I'd gotten from a few different guys, was just be in the moment and let it happen in the moment and let it happen naturally. Now, it would have been a very different call again if it was a six-yard slant. It just would have been different, yes. you know, and and it would have probably felt a little bit more uh, manufactured, a little bit, a little bit more scripted, and and maybe I do grab one of the scripted lines in that moment. But the way that it happened was just perfect, and and it made it very easy, uh, certainly on me, and and it was just really it was a natural response of excitement for him, and uh, I'm I'm just glad that I didn't stumble on anything, I didn't I didn't blow anything, I didn't announce the wrong receiver, I, you know, there's all these things that you worry about as a play as a play by play guy, and uh, I'm just I'm happy that, you know, it came out clean. So you had some cards, you had some. Some I had, lines or whatever that so I call with a laptop in front of me. Okay. I keep the stats stuff up so that I have that, and I had about ten of them written on the left side of the screen, ready to go, uh, all in red and bold, big fonts. You know they're ready. Like I'm ready for these when when it happens, and you know when when he caught the ball, I stood up out of my chair. You know you're just excited. I mean you're like a fan basically, right. right? So I'm excited and I stand up and all of that goes completely out of the window when it happens because. You know, that just the, the, the gravity of the moment kind of took over. It's interesting. I remember in 1998, uh, during the home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, uh, I ended up, over time, talking to each of the broadcasters that called the 70th home run for McGuire. Some of them had something scripted. Some of them did not. And when you went back and heard the calls – there were one or two that seemed uncomfortable because it, it felt like they were reading off the piece of paper just like this. And then there were others that just, it was just like the first emotion that came to him or just calling the play. And I don't think there was any right or wrong way to do it because as you mentioned, it's this moment and you know, this moment's going to happen, but you don't know how it's going to happen. Yeah. 
Um, it's spontaneous, like you said. It could have been, <laughs> my goodness, it could have been a screen pass, exactly, you know, the I mean, sideline, exactly, and, you know, or a guy gets hurt on the play. Can you imagine how awful that would have been? Well, you know what was interesting on this play is there's a flag at the end of it, and the flag's on the 10-yard line. So, you know, me and Deuce had talked about it, and it was like, listen, we're going to get this call out, and then, hey, turn up the, the crowd noise and just let it sit there. Let the moment be Drew's moment. Let's not ruin it. Well, then all of a sudden we're like, oh, there's a flag too, and, you know, if that flag is thrown because of a hold or a block on the back at the 20 that we didn't see and it goes back to the 30, is that enough? I mean, there's all these – you know, and again, you can't you can't script that job very easily. A lot of guys told me that they would script for moments or have something ready. Some guys say absolutely not. And you know, I, at this point, because I don't know what I'm doing, it's just over preparation. Like have some there ready to go. Uh, but again, the the football gods were good to all of us that night because they, they weren't needed. Of course, it was Drew. I mean, of course, it's going to work <laughs> right, just perfectly. Right. Um, I have no idea how Deuce did not just start yelling and screaming during the call. Yeah. Did he want to? Did you have to hold him down? He didn't. Here's, I, what, here's what's interesting about Deuce, and I love Deuce for this reason because we're very different in this regards. Deuce is like the guy, you know, me before the game, I'm like, this is all Drew. This is all about this record. Like, in my head, I'm the emotional guy in the booth, and it's like, this is, the, this is why we're here, right? Like, there's a game happening, but we're here to see this. And Deuce is like, nah, if they don't win, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like he's like he's so matter of fact about it. And so I think there was a little there's a little bit of deuce that in the moment is like, well, you know, don't fumble the ball. Oh, did someone got an excessive celebration penalty? Like, you know what I mean? Like he's so much more matter of fact. So I'm like borderline crying and Deuce is worried about the flag. And so, you know, we have very different personalities in that regard. And so uh which is good, I think. It works out well, but yeah, Deuce is not the guy that's going to be overexcited. Very similar. You go back to like, you know, the, the Minnesota play last year and, and you can hear this massive disappointment in Jim and Deuce is like, unbelievable. It's like very, yes. like matter of fact, you know? So, uh, yeah, there's a big contrast there with us. I think that's why it works. Exactly. It really yeah. does. Um, you know, here's the, here's kind of the crazy thing. Think about this for a moment. Unless the saints win an NFC championship game to go to a super bowl, or they win a Super Bowl, even better. You may not have a moment like this again. How crazy is that? That it would it would take a second trip to a Super Bowl or a second World Championship to reach the level of this moment in your broadcast career. That's I, I'm I don't know whether to be cynical about that or that's how or is that in homage to how big that was on Monday night? Well. One, you know, this is a is a, a rarity in this job, I would imagine, because you know going into the season that this is most likely occurring, which is never the case with the Super Bowl. True. Right? I mean, you go in thinking maybe possible, but never this is happening. And this year it was really like, hey, this is happening. Um, I was more afraid that it was going to happen last week in New York because I was less prepared for that. He needed about 400 about 408 yards going into last week's game, which he's totally capable of doing. Uh and so I was a little bit more nervous. At least I felt a little more prepared uh this week, but yeah, it's listen, it's it's hard to find another moment that I would be more emotional in um than what that was. Yeah. And again, because even in a Super Bowl, the the Super Bowl I would imagine is going to be would be if if we got that opportunity 
is going to be excitement. This was more emotional because of Drew, my relationship with him, yeah. and, and, and ultimately, again, how it happened, which was perfect. I mean, and I'm sure if we went back and talked to Jim – what better way to really end a Super Bowl than with a pick six? Oh, with, without with, a doubt. With, by the way, previously the most prolific passer in NFL history driving to tie the game. So, you know, it's a really, I mean, again, a very special moment that you could never have scripted or prepared for. This one, at least I had a chance to. Uh, fortunately and unfortunately, all that preparation went out the window when he completed the pass. Yeah. Uh, you weren't the only one nervous. ESPN was too, because they had plotted that this would happen on this particular Monday night, and therefore we're putting the Saints on Monday night football. If this would have happened last week, like you said, <laughs> I know. Well, they would have been some kind of pissed, huh? They, they absolutely <laughs> would have. They absolutely would have. And I really kind of had talked to some people around the Saints building, and they felt really good about their pass plan last week, felt good about their matchups. And we're on the plane, and they're talking about, I think we're really going to be able to throw the ball a bunch. And I'm like, oh, no, because exactly. Exactly right. One, you don't want to do it in New York, right? If yeah. it happens in New York, then it's like, oh, he broke the record. Half those fans yeah. probably boo. Probably boo. Right, right. right? Yeah. You're in New York. And so, you know, this this couldn't have been any better. His family's on the sideline. Oh, the, yeah. It's yeah. a touchdown. He comes to the – he gets to do the – he waves to the crowd. I mean, you, it's like – it's literally – it's the sports movie that you're like, that's not how it happened, right? Like, it's, it's the end of Rudy – where you're like, he didn't really get a sack on the last play, right? right? Like yeah. that's how you feel yeah. about it. It's the same, same kind of way. So, yeah, it's it was it was uh, picture perfect. Yeah. Before I ask you about some other things, I, I I was concerned about one other thing on Monday night, which was I had heard I had heard this notion that if he broke the record uh, under two minutes left in either half, they wouldn't stop the game. Obviously, because of the two minute situation. And so they, they're getting ready to take the field coming out of that timeout to start that drive. And I'm looking at the clock. Yeah, it's 2.50, like, right? 2.50, something like that. I'm like, boy, this would be a real bummer if this happens under two minutes. I mean, I'll, I'll love to have seen it live and in person, and, I'm, and I'll be glad that Drew's got it done before halftime. But I sure hope he gets this on the first throw or the second throw. Sure I enough, know. It, you know, as you said, it, it's true, so it always, it always works out. Yeah, and yeah. It, it just made it more special. It was a special moment that was just absolutely elevated by what we all got to watch after it happened. Yeah, Voice of the Saints, Zach Streep with us here on the Black and Blue Report. Let's talk a little bigger picture here. Can you believe you've done nine games already if you conclude the preseason? Nine. I, I mean, uh, look at me, seasoned veteran, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's very cool. Uh, it's certainly becoming more comfortable. There's – Things that you learn every single week. There's mistakes that are made that you go back and find ways to try and fix. And um, I think me and Deuce are becoming more and more comfortable with each other. And, and like I talked about earlier, more I understand much better what I'm about to get out of Deuce. You know, we yeah. we get to the end of a game. The Saints need a big play. Deuce is like, well, I hope we just hope we don't give up a sack. You know what I mean? It's just like wonderful negativity that he has a lot. And um, so we're learning that about each other and about those calls and. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it, it has gone pretty quick already. What do you like to get from him during a broadcast? What is most insightful to you from your partner right now? I'll tell you this: I don't know. You know, I, as an offensive lineman, you live a little bit in a phone booth in terms of your general knowledge and understanding. And I think Deuce has a much better understanding of the whole scheme of the game. And uh, what's nice is is that there's always 
tidbits that I feel like I can add to that he sets up and maybe not something that I saw or something that I uh, knew happened, but there's a, there's a good deuce is very good at kind of bringing in information that, that I can add to, which has helped me a lot. Um, But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, what people have liked the most is, is the reality that me and deuce are friends. We were teammates and we have that type of relationship on the air where, we don't agree with each other all the time. We've argued about four times. I got I got texts, you know, after one of the games, and they're like, you two act like you're married. You know, it's like you two are bickering with each other at the end of games. And, and I think that's good. You know, I think I it's good, too. and that confrontation is good. And, and I think both of us are learning. It's almost like I'm starting to learn the buttons that I can push on Deuce. There's certain things I know he's going to react to, and so I can push those buttons a little bit easier now, whereas in the past it was kind of accidental. But – um, I think the back and forth between us has been good. So you're an you're an antagonist. Is I'm an antagonist. Yes. Absolutely. When when Zach Streif is out and about around town now, are are you number sixty four or are you the voice of the Saints? How do people uh, interact with you now? I would say that I'm 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 more the voice of the Saints. I, I've had a lot of people come up and and say you're doing a good job and and I think you know most of the time there's just a lot of very nice good polite fans in this in this city and uh they just want to say something nice I don't know how many of them believe it right now but uh it's been great it's it's really you know again the the, the fans here are fantastic and uh I was really fortunate in kind of how I got to leave and you know if there's one thing I've learned here that people in New Orleans love it's people who love the things they love, which mm-hmm. is the city of New Orleans, the culture, the saints, all things that I truly love. And I think people appreciate that. And, and, and I think they've all been uh, fairly willing to give me a pass on all my, uh, my, the things that I'm not doing well um, because they appreciate the things that I love about their city. You're not a Cincinnati guy anymore. <clears throat> no, I, no. I, I tell, listen, when we're out of town and people say, where are you from? I say New Orleans. And my mom doesn't like to hear that. Uh, you know, my, 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 my home home will always be at the Streif residence in Milford, but uh, New Orleans is home now, and, and I'm proud to be a, a, a New Orleanian. The Bengals did not play in, the cur- in Paul Brown Stadium when you were growing up, did they? So they moved into Paul Brown Stadium, I believe, my junior year in high school. Okay, well, so. Um, and I bit. believe, you know, we had Bengals season tickets growing up. And we went every week, and it was very similar to what it was like being a Saints fan then, right? It was like, these are not two real good organizations, not a lot of success. And I was like the eight-year-old that thought we were winning the Super Bowl every year. I was convinced, right? Now, six games in the year, we're one and five again. And it's yeah. like, ah, maybe this isn't going to be the year. And I think they moved into Paul Brown my junior year. We kept those tickets for one more year. And as my senior year came, my dad uh, gave, gave the tickets up. It was getting harder for us to go. When I went to college, nobody wanted to go to Bengals games. I'm sure that this existed at some point in New Orleans, but Cincinnati was a town that if you had extra tickets, you couldn't find someone to give them to. People just didn't – they just didn't want to go. So uh, we finally gave them up uh, my junior year, but I went to a lot of Bengals games. Did you – you played there against the Bengals. Yes. So we played – we've played there once. We've played the Bengals, I think, three times. Or played them three times in my career, but one time there. One time there. Yes. Um, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? I mean, you're going to call a game in that stadium yes. later this season. Yes. Does it? Will it be special for you, or will it not? Because you've already played there as a player. Well, I, I think all of these. You know, 
every game that I've called so far has been fairly special. Um, I'm excited that I don't have a curfew. I can go home and see my parents, and I'm not, I'm not like terrified to miss, you know, an eight o'clock meeting. I would have never have thought to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just good to like, hey, I can go home and spend some time with my family, which is not really a thing on the road. You know, maybe a quick dinner at four thirty, and, um, but yeah, I think it's going to be special. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to go home, and you know, I've I've had tons of support from my hometown for a long time, and I think. It's 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 a very cool situation for a kid that maybe played football at Milford, my my high school, that came to my camp for five years, and you know I, I've I've gotten to meet so many people that you, you know you don't realize and you take it for granted sometimes as a player at this level that that type of relationship with with kids in your hometown with you know, guys that are kind of walking in your footsteps, guys that have played football at your high school, right. that those are big moments for them. I think it's very cool for those guys, and um, and that makes it special. You know, just the fact that they're Bengals fans and they might listen to the Saints broadcast instead of the Bengals broadcast because a guy that went to their high school is doing it. And uh, I think that's very cool and, and, and certainly a, a unique thing about, you know, getting this job after after playing. Yeah. No doubt. Absolutely. I've got to ask you about this team before you get out of here today. Yeah. I, I kind of thought they would be in the position they are currently. I certainly maybe have flinched a little after the week one loss. But is this Saints team where you thought they would be at the bye week? I think the Saints team is where you might hope they would be after the bye week um, or coming to the bye week. Listen, what's great about this group is I feel like the question early was certainly defensively. And I think this defense is getting better and better. And what's really good and what's really promising, as you get Mark Ingram back, this team's strength, as good as we are on the outside, as good as guys like Mike Thomas and, and you know Alvin Kamara are, the strengths of this team are in the front sevens. It's in the offensive line. It's in the defensive line and linebackers. And that bodes very well for any team in the NFL. You take a look at a team like the Eagles last year, and there's all this talk about Carson Wentz and the season that he had, and they talk about you know Doug Peterson and the, and the play calling and all this stuff. That team last year had the best defensive line and the best offensive line in football. That's just the reality of those two groups. This Saints front defensively, leading the league in yards per carry given up, has been really, at this point, almost unpenetrable. I mean, they have not given up. They had the one play on the cutback on the ground to Saquon Barkley, which was a good play by a guy. But, man, they have played phenomenal up front. And I think the Saints' offensive line, I think Drew has been largely clean throughout the season. There's just seven sacks given up on the year. Um, I think they've been really, really solid up front. And as you get Mark Ingram back, for as much as I would say last night, they didn't run the ball for a lot of yards they were really effective denting what I think is a very good front in Washington. I was concerned. Yeah, I, yes. I mean, listen, and, yeah. they, and that's, a, that's a group that they have spent a lot of money to make that front seven good, and it's a talented group. they got two really good uh, guys out of Alabama in the last couple of years, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, who have been playing really, really well up front. And, and by and large, I think that they were dominated last evening. And I think those two things bode really well for this team moving forward. I agree. Um, I asked John DeShazer this question last night. Maybe this is a media question. Tell I'm me. in the media now. Yeah, but you're 
<laughs> you're gonna understand where I'm going with this. Does the buy come at a good time? Yeah, I mean, I mean I, you're on a winning streak. It's almost as if it, let's go play again. You yeah, know? no, but, I hear you. I mean, I think. I, listen, if I'm a player, I always want it to come later in the season. So, so week six is pretty early. Not the earliest. The, the week three buys are brutal. Yeah, because you got a long way to go. Uh, you know, to get our week is it week three they start now or week four? Week four. Week four. Yeah. It's it's tough. Um, this is not tremendously later than that, but so as a player, you say, man, I'd really like to get that closer to the middle towards the end. You know, that week ten buy is really nice because you're really feeling like you need it. Um, but I also think Coach Payton does as good as anybody in the NFL at handling these bye weeks he's going to get the guys out of the building they're going to recharge and if you really want to talk about getting on a roll it's way more important that you're on a roll at the end of november going into december than it is at the end of september going into october you really want this team to get rolling at the end everybody's kind of beat up. it's not like the bye week charges the batteries to 100 percent. you go from 60 to 72 right it's not, it's not like it's a full recharge so I think this is good for them. I think they're going to come back really motivated. I think uh, going on the road for a couple weeks against two tough teams is the perfect way to come out of the bye because there's going to be no let-up. It's going to be we have to play our best football. Obviously, going to Baltimore, playing a team that has never been beaten in the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era uh, will be a big challenge, certainly on the road at Baltimore. And then the Vikings, who obviously – if, if you're a Saints fan or a Saints player that's been in this building in the last 12 months, you have a bone to pick with the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty fair. This is a daunting <laughs> stretch, but there's motivation there. Yep. Sean Payton's 9-3 and three now going into the bye. Yeah. Yeah, and, and going into the bye. I mean, that's – I don't know. The... Yeah, I, I think – and, you know, it's funny. Early in Sean's career, we were not great uh, – with the bye weeks. Mm-hmm. We were not very good. We actually, ironically, I think, I'm trying to remember what year. I want to say it was maybe seven or eight. We played the Baltimore Ravens coming out of the bye week at home, and I think we lost by 30. I mean, it was a it was a whooping, right? And that was the last year of Coach Payton's, hey, on the bye week, it's like training camp. We got to get better. It was not get away and get rested. It was we have to improve. And there was kind of a transition in there into 2009. I think that must have been 08. Because in 2009, the message was, if we want to do something we've never done before, we have to do things we've never done before. And he kind of said, so I'll see you all next week. And when we came back, I remember very vividly the discussion in the locker room before the game was, if we don't win, we'll be back to that bi-week schedule. <laughs> it was the greatest motivator ever. It was, if we don't win – after that, after that break that he just gave us, it's going to go back to the horrible week that it used to be. So it's funny what will rev your team up sometimes. But it was 100% discussed in the locker room. If we don't win, we'll never have a bye like that again. And then that kind of started a stretch of, of really being good out of the bye. That's hilarious. That really is. You wouldn't think necessarily that's a huge motivator, but I don't know that there's – that might have been about as fired up as you've seen the Saints team in a regular season game was – was coming out of that first bye that he gave us a break in 09. And now we know why they were so motivated. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, how's the bye week going to be for the play-by-play announcer? Uh, it's going to be good. My uh, my wife planned a trip for us. We're going to get out of town uh, and go out to San Francisco for a couple of days and, and spend a little bit of time together. Obviously, these uh, the schedule 
it kind of feels like you're right back playing again. You know, it's busy and, and I'm not home as much as, as I'd like to be. And so we're going to get out and spend a little bit of time together. So uh, it's a good setup. And ironically, speaking of Drew Brees, we're actually – Drew's given offensive lineman trips as Christmas presents for a long time now. And they're usually much longer than this. We had to cut this one way short. But obviously last year being my last season, I still had this Christmas present – and uh, we wanted to use it. So, so Drew is sending my wife and I to San Francisco. How about that? How about that? No doubt. Yeah, the, the days of the isotoner gloves for the <laughs> offensive linemen just the, doesn't quite cut it It does anymore. not. No, the Christmas presents for offensive linemen from quarterbacks, is, is, that, that has really expanded in the last few years. And Drew's really, from the very beginning, uh, we've always gotten way too much for Christmas. I don't even want to add up the amount of money that Drew Brees has spent on me for, on Christmas gifts in, in my career. I think he's good for it. He's going to be okay, I think. Yeah. I think he's going to be all right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I'm glad I got you before you left town. I really appreciate it. I, I, I was just really fascinated by the moment, the dynamic, the relationship. Um, and I thought this was the perfect time to have you for an extended visit. So it means a lot. Thank you. Well, I appreciate yep. you coming in. And anytime. You got it. There he is, the voice of the Saints, Zach Streep.